Amen. You may be seated as our house lights come up so we can read our Bibles together. Speaking of Bibles, if you have it with you, hold it up. Or if you have your phone or whatever it is that you're going to use this morning, awesome. I love to see that. Well, let me tell you, you better have your fingers quick to the draw today because we're going to be all over the Bible. We're going to start in Genesis 18, go to Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter 4, Mark 6, Acts uh, chapter 2, 10 and 11, and chapter 6 also. So if you can keep up with me, that'd be great. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen behind us, okay? So we're going to be all over. You may want to turn to Genesis chapter 18 because that's where we will begin. Now, in Genesis 18, we won't read it all, but at least you'll know exactly where we're at. As you know, we're in the middle of our series called All the One Another's in the Bible, and as we talk about about these different one another's, we have discovered that they make up five different categories. And in these five different categories, each of these one another's can go into one or even two or three or all five of the different categories. But what we have discovered for sure that is love, which could be its own category, love is found 18 times in the New Testament. Love one another. And so as we re learn about this love one another in the Bible, what, the first thing what we need to understand is this love that it's talking about is not a Philadelphia love. It's not a brotherly love. All 18 times when you look up that word love, it is the word agape love. It is not a self-serving, I'm going to get something back kind of love. It is, I'm going to do something for you because I love you and I don't wish anything in return, that kind of love. It is the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated when he left heaven, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross for our sins. It is that kind of agape love. And when we look at the one another's in scripture, we understand that it is that agape love that ties, it binds these one another's. Without agape love, these one another's would be little more than doing kind things for each other. And that's not what the one another's are about. The one another's are for, there for us to exhibit Christ in other people's lives. And so what we have done is we have taken these one another's and we have broken them into five categories, unity, hospitality, devotion, witness, and edification. And so in all of these, in devotion, witness, and edification as well, you will discover that love is what links all of these together. Today, we're going to look at the category of hospitality. I heard a story of a, a man, he took his uh, dog to the vet. Now, this was an older dog. Uh, it was no little puppy. It was an older dog, and he took it to the vet. And you know how you get into the office, whether it's with a vet or the doctor or whatever, and you're, you're there alone in the office, and the vet asked the, the man, well, what's, what's wrong with your dog? Why are you here today? And the man said, well, I want you to cut his tail off. Well, cut his tail off. I, he said, I want you to cut it completely off. I, I don't even want a nub. And, and the doctor said, no, I'm not going to cut it. Why in the world do you want me to cut your dog's tail off? He says, well, my mother-in-law is coming to visit us, and I don't want anything in our house to make her feel welcome. He didn't get his tail cut off. Be nice to the dog, all right? We're talking about hospitality. 
And if we're going to talk about hospitality, we need to understand what biblical hospitality is. There are two main words in the Bible that we find for hospitality, and both of these words are complex words. they two compound words. They're put together. The first one is philoxenia. Philoxenia. We find this word in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, where Paul writes, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now there, philosenia is found in its noun form. And what it literally means is to love strangers. If you were going to just remember nothing else from the message today, maybe that's it. For us to, uh, to practice hospitality, it means to love strangers. The second word is philoxenos, philoxenos, and it's found in 1 Peter chapter 4. It is the adjectival counterpart to the noun, and it's found in 1 Peter 4, which says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So here... This word means, hospitality means, that we are to be willing to show hospitality to strangers or to receive a guest willingly or entertain someone willingly. Now, the reason I bring these words up and what I think is important is because they're made up of two different words. The first word is philo, or maybe you have heard the word phileo, right, which we take into Philadelphia to mean brotherly love, yes? But this word philo, it means to be a friend, uh, to have or to show affection for someone, uh, to have a liking for something. And in some contexts, it even means that you would greet someone with a kiss or show your kindness to a person by giving them a kiss on the cheek. And again, we get our Greek, our word, Philadelphia, from this word, which does mean brotherly love. Now, xenos is different. The word xenos means one thing, stranger. That's all it means. So when we put these two words together and we mix them together, what we need to understand is that we are to show love to those whom we do not know. That is the biblical definition of hospitality, to show love to those whom we do not know. The ideal of hospitality is an ancient idea, believe it or not. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, we see a very interesting story. Abraham is sitting at the the door of his tent. Now, Abraham is 99 years old at this point. 99. Any 99-year-olds in here? Okay, I didn't think so. 99 years old. And when he sees, he sees these three men coming at him. And you can look there in your scripture itself. When he sees these three men, you know what it says? He said that he stood up and ran to them. 99 years old. He sees these three guys coming. He stands and he runs towards them. And when he runs, you know what he does? He fetches a a pail of water. He takes it over, sets them under the shade tree, and washes their feet. (laughs) 99 years old. Not only that, the Bible says in verse 6 in chapter 18 that he quickly went inside and said, Sarah, 
we have strangers. I want you to make some pancakes. Now, they didn't have no Hungry Jack or Bizquick where you just mix a couple of things, right? She had to make it from scratch. And so he tells Sarah to make the pancakes from scratch. He runs out into the field. He picks out his very best calf. He has his hand butcher it and barbecue it and bring it back to the guest. That is what hospitality is all about. Now, we understand who these three are. It's Jesus incarnate and two of his angels. But can you imagine running around and doing all of those things at 99 years? You're talking about hospitality. That is hospitality. Strangers come into my home. I make them feel welcome. I go above and beyond to take care of their needs. Now, did Abraham do that because it was a law? Did he do it because he was commanded to do it? Can I just say no, without a doubt, because the law didn't come until 400 years later. Abraham did this because you got to imagine what it was living in the desert, in the, in, in the place where Abraham lived. It was a rough life. It was a hard life. And while he had a lot of amenities, when there were people that were traveling, when strangers came through, they depended on these homeowners, on these people to take care of them. They didn't have holiday inns on the road. And so it was just kind of expected that it would be done. And then when the law comes about 400 years later in Leviticus 19, it says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You see what it says? You treat them like everybody else, as if they were one of you. And you shall love him as you as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. We are to treat people, the law says, and we are to love them. You see that? Just as we would love ourselves. Hospitality in the Old Testament was not just a meal and a shelter for a night. Hospitality meant that you went all out. It also meant that you were protected. I'm not going to go there, but you remember the story of Lot, right? And these angels come to town and these bad men want to do bad things with these angels. And what does Lot do? Say, uh-uh, they're guests in my home. I am going to protect them. And so we, as when we learn what real biblical hospitality is, it is not just feeding someone. It's not just giving them a place to stay. It is our protection as well. And how do we protect people in a lot of different ways? And probably the best way we can protect someone is from them going to hell. And as we jump over to the New Testament, we understand that's what biblical hospitality is all about. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, all the law and the, uh, depend all the law and the prophets. So when we look at biblical hospitality, we have to understand that love is a major part of it. Hospitality is, again, more than feeding someone. It's more inviting, more than just inviting someone to your home. It's more than just being kind to a stranger while you're on the road or in the restaurant. At the heart of hospitality is agape love. 
And the New Testament confirms the Old Testament concept of hospitality in at least three ways. In Jesus' life, in the church, and within Scripture. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. These three ways that we can practice hospitality. And the first and best place to start, of course, is with Jesus, right? And how do we start with Jesus? Jesus. You know, as I read scripture, especially in the gospels, how how often have you been reading in the gospels and you see Jesus eating with somebody? Happening all the time, right? Jesus is eating with these people or those folks. And and you just take the call of Matthew. Y'all remember who Matthew is, right? Matthew was a tax collector. The religious people, as a matter of fact, all of the Jews hated tax. Does anybody love tax collectors today? I don't know. But you think about it, these Jews, and in particularly the religious leaders, they hated tax. And when you would say tax collector, they automatically said sinner. You're a sinner. And here is this sinner, Matthew. He accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And the very first thing Matthew does after trusting in Christ as his Savior is he throws a party. And you know who he invites to that party? Guess what? Other tax collectors and sinners. And so here is Jesus having a party at Matthew's house for other tax collectors and sinners. It says in Mark chapter 2, verse 15, As Jesus reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, if we're going to practice biblical hospitality, we talk about protection and saving someone from hell. Do you see what happened? Matthew throws a party for his sinner friends who do not know Jesus, He invites them, they come, and over a lamb chop steak or whatever they may be having, Jesus presents himself and shares with them the gospel, and they come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. When Jesus sat down with the folks, the religious folks called sinners, it shows us that the the acceptance of someone's hospitality in some ways identifies us with them. And listen, how many times was Jesus accused of being with the wrong kind of people? Jesus chose to associate with sinners because sinners need to know the repentance and forgiveness are available even to them. And what did Jesus say? What did he say his mission was? Jesus said, my mission is to seek and to save the lost. And who are the lost? It are, they are sinners. And guess what? You and I are sinners as well. The only difference between me being a sinner and someone who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, being this, I am a sinner saved by grace going to heaven, and they are a sinner yet to be saved by grace. And if they don't change that situation, they're going to a place called hell. And I know we don't like to talk about that. But if we're going to practice true biblical hospitality, we need to tell people the truth. Spending time with tax collectors and sinners, it was only natural for Jesus. Jesus says in verse 17 that he came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He listen, I don't... I want, you, I want you Pharisees, I want you religious people to trust in me, but listen, you're hard-headed. I, I want to talk to these people that know 
They understand that they're lost and need a savior. And nothing's changed. You know, over the last 2,000 years, nothing has changed. There are lost people who live in your neighborhood, who you go to school with, who you play pickleball or golf with, lost people that you knit or sew or fish or whatever the case. And if you want to practice true biblical hospitality, you need to share the love of Christ with them. You need to give them the gospel. We as Christians, you know what happens? It, it, what normally happens is we put ourselves in these little cocoons, don't we? And we surround ourselves with people of like minds. And it's only natural to do that. And, you know, after all, we have taught our children and our teenage children, be careful with whom you hang out with because you'll start acting like them, right? It, it's easier to slip the wrong way than it is to go up the right way, so to speak. But we as believers, and even those strong teenagers and children, we as believers in Jesus Christ, what we need to be doing is getting out of that little circle that we've built around us with Christian friends, and we need to be like Jesus, and we need to be out there with the tax collectors and the sinners. They need to be in our sphere of influence. They need to be our friends. That's the point of hospitality, is being with people. What is the term? Love of strangers. People who do not yet know Jesus. And Jesus didn't let social uh, status or cultural norms dictate his relationship with people. Unlike many churches today, Jesus didn't require anybody to change anything. He didn't say, okay, if you'll quit smoking, you can come hang out with me. Or if you quit gambling, you can come hang out with me. Or if you quit cheating on your spouse, you can come and hang out with me. Jesus met them right where they're at. and said, listen, you don't have to do a thing. If you will allow me, I'll do everything for you. I'll change you. See, Jesus was criticized for his actions and inclusivity by the self-righteous legalist of his day. But he sought out people. He met them where they were. He extended grace to them no matter their circumstances. He didn't care about their race. He didn't care about their gender. He didn't care about their upbringing. He didn't care about their education. He just was wanting to be with sinners who needed a savior. And he was him. And then if you jump over to Mark chapter 6, this is a story most of us know. I'm not going to take the time to read the story. Let me just summarize it to you. But it'll be on the screen right there. You can read it for yourself. Here's Jesus and his disciples. They have been working hard. They've been serving. They've been preaching. They've been ministering. And they're tired. And they need this mini vacation. And so what do they do? They get in the boat and it says that they go to the other side of the lake because they're looking for a desolate place. You know what that means? They don't want anybody around. They need a vacation. Have you ever felt like that? Work is piled up on you. Your family is piled up on you. School is piled up on you. Everything is just weighing you down and you just need a little me time. And here the disciples and Jesus need a little bit of me time. I think Jesus knew what was going to happen, but the disciples certainly didn't. And so they get to the desolate place. And guess what happens when they get to that desolate place? There are people, it's a crowd of people. It says that there are 5,000 men waiting on them. And Jesus, what, 
his poor disciples, they're exhausted, physically tired, mentally tired. And, and, and Jesus, he gets up and he teaches them. And now it's getting late. And, and one of the disciples say, hey, Jesus, send them away, man. I'm tired. We're all, all of us are exhausted. Give us a break. And you know, Jesus does what, he has the audacity to say, I'm, don't, I'm not going to send them away to go get food. You feed them. Now, where in the world are they going to get food? It could be up to 20,000 people there. When you talk about men and women and children, it could be up to 20,000 people there. And here they are, they're tired, they're exhausted, they're burned out, they need a vacation, and Jesus shows his compassion and hospitality. Even when he doesn't have a home to invite them in, he still takes care of their needs. And isn't that what Jesus does for us every single day? He shows his hospitality by showing, by taking care of our needs. We, we see the Lord practice hospitality, right? In all of these instances. What about the church? Did the church practice hospitality? All you have to do is go to the very birth of the church in Acts chapter two. The church is, is in its infancy. And in Acts chapter two, verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Can you feel the hospitality here? And they were willing, excuse me, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. I mean, you just feel the hospitality happen. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Here we are, we see the birth of the church and the church is coming together and they are serving one another. They're selling their possessions. They're eating day by day in other people's homes. They are being together. And throughout the book of Acts, we see that this act of breaking bread and being together is so prevalent in Acts chapter 6. I love Acts chapter 6. And the reason I love Acts chapter 6 is because we get our deacons from Acts chapter 6. Here's what's going on in the church. The church is now responsible for the widow's for those that can't take care of themselves. And the church, because they're selling their possessions, they're giving what they can, they're doing everything, they are practicing hospitality, you with me? And so here they are practicing hospitality, and there are some widows that say, hey, those widows over there are getting more than, the, than me, and these are being left out, and I'm getting, you know, and so what do they do? The apostles, Peter and James and John, they get together and say, okay, from among you, from you, okay, church, it's your job, church, to pick seven guys. And you pick these seven guys, and they'll take care, and they'll make sure everybody is getting equal stuff. And here, because hospitality was at least perceived to be broken from one group to another, we get our deacons. And let me tell you, I love our deacons. Listen, our deacons are the best deacons I have ever served with in my life. We have good men that love Jesus and they want to serve. 
And one of their ways that they serve is to make sure the hospitality is taken care of and done fairly. Now we jump to Acts chapter 10. We're just looking at the church in Acts. Can you see how many times we see hospitality? Acts chapter 10. Let me tell you the story of what's going on. The Jews, as you know, they have these dietary restrictions, right? You understand, and most of us know, that most Jewish people can't eat certain things. Even today, Orthodox Jews won't eat shellfish, for instance. A lot of them won't even put their, their cheese and their meat on the, same ta- on the same shelf in their refrigerator if they only have one refrigerator. So they had these very strict dietary uh, uh restrictions in their life. And one of those restrictions was not just about food, but they were also commanded not to eat with strangers, not to be in a Gentile's home even, and much less eat at a Gentile's table. So you with me? So their dietary practices brought, guess what? Can you imagine what happened in the church? You have these good, strong Orthodox Jewish believers who became believers and they become Christians, right? And they hold on to their old stuff. And their old stuff says, I can't eat with you. And the Gentile, those who are not Jews, they come to know Christ and they go, why can't you eat with me? And and it put a line down the middle of the church. I I mean, it just, it, it split the church. There's these Jewish people saying that I can't eat with you. And and what would happen when they celebrated and observed the Lord's Supper? How in the world could these Jewish people that hold on to that law so tightly and these Gentiles say, we don't get it. And they come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper and they can't even do the Lord's Supper together. And so in Acts chapter 10, we see the solution to that. In Acts chapter 10, Peter's up on the roof and he has this vision. He has a dream. And he sees this sheet descending from heaven. And on this sheet is all kind of animals. Look in verse 13. And there came a voice to him. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Now, you know what happens immediately after this? Knock on the door. It's a guy, it's messengers from a guy named Cornelius, who is a centurion, who is a Gentile, who is not a Jewish person. And he sends these messengers and asks Peter to follow these messengers back to Cornelius's house. Now, before this, I I can imagine that Peter would probably have said no. But you know what Peter does? He invites them into his house. Hey, come on in. Y'all stay the night. It's getting too late. He practiced hospitality. You know what happened the next morning? Immediately the next morning, it says they went off, and they get to Cornelius' house. And in verse 28, Peter says to Cornelius and the others, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any one of another nation. That's what we just talked about, right? But God has shown me 
that I should not call any person common or unclean. Praise God, right? You know what happens next in Acts chapter 11? The Jewish believers in Jerusalem hear what's going on. So they call Peter to to, uh, Jerusalem. And it says in verse two, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that's the Jews, the Jewish believers criticized him. You you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. You know what Peter does? He tells them his vision. And after they concluded that it was from God, that, uh, that God has a purpose and a reason to save even Gentile people, this became a decisive turning point for the church. Do you realize what this means? Here in this Jerusalem church and in the church, the, the very earliest, the, the infancy of church, they had segregation, Jews and everyone else. Peter has this dream. God said, listen, no one is common or unclean. We're all one in Christ. So whether you're Jew and Gentile, black or white, rich or poor, educated or uneducated, it doesn't matter. We're one. We come to the same table, all of us. Then we jump ahead to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we see that trusting Jesus is evidenced by hospitality. You know what's going on in Acts chapter 16? Paul has been preaching. He's put in jail in Philippi. And they're singing and they're praying and they're praising God behind the cell. And all of a sudden, the doors are open. The guard, who is not a Jewish person, a Gentile, the guard, he picks up his sword. He's about to kill himself because he knows all the, everybody has escaped and he'd rather kill himself than face the punishment. And Paul said, oh, we're all here. Don't do any, don't harm yourself. And this man, this jailer who had been listening to them praise and pray and and sing all night long, he said, what must I do to be saved? Oh, of course, Paul is happy to tell him what he must be to do to be saved. He says, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation. And the man does And in verse 27, he says, the man, this is the jailer, he brought them, that is Paul and his friends that were in prison, he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. We see hospitality even in a brand new believer. Praise God. So I think you can see that that hospitality was critical in the conversion of and when people are converted to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, very quickly, let's look at three principles concerning hospitality that we find in Scripture. The first principle is we are commanded to show hospitality. It is a command, believe it or not, Again, 1 Peter 4, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Paul writes in Romans 12 again, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He doesn't say if you want to or if you feel like it, does he? 
in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So we are told here, each of these verses highlights the fact that hospitality does not just happen. It is a matter of determination. It is a matter of our will. We don't automatically just say, hey, come into my house, eat my food, sleep in my bed. We do it because it is what the Lord has commanded us to do, and we are going to be obedient in doing so. When we go to to, uh, Brookshire's or when we're in Walmart and we meet a stranger, it means that we're going to be kind to them and not be grumpy to them. I'm speaking to myself right now. In Hebrews, it stresses the need for hospitality to be practiced towards strangers, not just our friends. We're going we're to expand our sphere of influence. Peter reminds us that our attitude must be right when we're showing and practicing hospitality. Number two, and I want every minister in this room to listen to this, hospitality is a qualification for pastors. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Maybe one of our young people back there have heard the call of God. Let me tell you, part of that call is to be hospitable. And I think there's three reasons why. First, I think pastors will provide an example and set the pace for the entire congregation. Listen, I know that every church that I've ever been a part of and every church that you've ever been a part of, listen, in some way it reflects the pastor, right? And if the pastor is practicing hospitality, I mean, go out to eat with me and my staff. And let me tell you, I think they'll, they'll share with you that hospitality is practice. We want to make sure that the person who is waiting on us know that we love them, know that we care about them, and more importantly, that we want to share Jesus with them. That is hospitality. Number two, through hospitality, the pastor and staff can get to know you better. So invite me to lunch. Oh, that's you being hospitable, not me, right? But no, we should spend time together. And, and I know, and it, this service is not nearly as bad as the other service, but before service, I, I really try to get around and shake as many hands as I can. And, and there are some people that just want to hold on to me. You can't. You come into my office or invite me to your home and I'll spend as much time as needed. But in the mornings, I need to, I got 300 other yous to see, right? So help me out with that. And then thirdly, and probably most importantly, have y'all heard the term itinerant preachers? These were men who went from town to town and they made a living from town to town preaching. 
And, and, and here in the New Testament, it was no different. These men would come into these homes of these people into the because the, they met in their homes. These churches met, you know, eight or 10 or 20 in a home here and 30 in a home there and 40 in a home and 10 in a home. And these guys would travel around. And so the local pastor, the guy that was kind of overseeing all these different little church homes, he would invite that itinerant preacher in to make sure he was teaching the true gospel. Because of the false, I mean, just read the epistles of Paul and we understand that there were false teachers everywhere. And so the pastor would invite them in, have them sit down at the dinner table and talk to them about theology and say, hey, listen, you're out of here, buddy. I want you to leave Philippi. Number two, or excuse me, number three, the final principle is hospitality does more than meet physical needs. Hospitality is more than feeding someone. Hospitality is more than inviting someone to your home and giving them a place to sit. It's, it's even more than just protecting someone. Hospitality, listen, what's the most intimate place in the world for you? It's your home. And what's the most intimate place within your home for your family? It's the dinner table. It's when we, we share life together. And listen, families, I see some young families in here. I see young teenagers in here. I see people that have children. Listen, turn off the TV when you're eating dinner. Get rid of those cell phones when you're eating dinner. If you want to have and practice true biblical hospitality, it starts at the dinner table in your own home. So, as we've seen in Scripture, when we invite people and when we are hospitable with people, and we've seen almost every instance here in the New Testament that we've looked at, guess what happens? A profession of faith follows. That's what hospitality is about. And too often what we have done is we have built these circles and we say, oh, only my Christian friends can be in this circle and we need to bust it wide open and invite those strangers into our home. Did you know that Jesus, Jesus wants intimacy with you? Did you know that? There was a church, it's called Laodicea. This church, it was apathetic. You know what that means? They were indifferent to Jesus. They were believers, but they, they lost their love for Jesus. They, for, for them, Jesus was just, uh, I don't know. He's my savior, but that's about it. They were indifferent to Jesus. And when Jesus tells John, listen, I want you to write these letters to these seven churches, and he writes the letter to the church in Laodicea, he says to the church in Laodicea, Excuse me. That guys, y'all are apathetic and indifferent. And if you would, he says, I stand at the door and knock. And, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Do you see how intimate Jesus wants to be with us? This, this verse, Revelation 3.20, it wasn't written to lost people. It was written to the church. It was written to us. 
And you see how Jesus wants to have intimacy with us. If you will just open your door of your heart, I will come in and we can be best friends again. And I will dwell with you and I will eat with you and I will, do, I will be with you every moment of every day. Just open the heart and let me in. And I've heard people, and there's nothing wrong with this, talk about this verse in evangelism but it's written to the church. But I will tell you, if you are here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus and him alone to be your Lord and Savior, this verse is true for you. If you would just open up the, heart, the door of your heart, Jesus will come in. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to so badly that he died for you. Have you trusted in Jesus and him alone? If not, let this day be that day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for biblical hospitality. And I pray, God, that Hollybrook Baptist Church is the chief uh, participator in this and that we would show the world around us your love by being hospitable to all people. And maybe, God, there's someone here that needs to trust in Jesus as their Savior even now. And I pray, God, the moment that we stand and the moment Jason plays that first note, that they would walk to the front and say, Brother David, I want to know Jesus. Or maybe there's someone right now that have been convicted that they need to open their home or be kinder when they're out in the community. Whatever it is, God, we pray that you would take control and that your spirit would move. In Jesus' name.